The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. The Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription. You heard that right, 12 months free. If you follow the link in the description box for casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout. Hello, you gorgeous lot, and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here. How are you all doing? This week's guest is the brilliant cartoonist Lily O'Farrell. Lily is a political feminist cartoonist, and we have a varied and extremely interesting conversation. We talk everything from people's reactions to women being liberated and open about their sexual experiences and their sexuality uh, to obviously what happened in Texas last week and to the fact that things really need to change um, socially and at a school and not even at a school before that at a much deeper level we really need to look at misogyny and the infection the impact that it has. Um, really great, really important conversation. We both talk about our love of the Gen Zers. Lily is right on that cusp of a baby millennial, Gen Zer. Obviously, I am not a baby millennial, so <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, great episode, and I can't wait for everybody to see it. And you can follow Lily and her brilliant and important cartoons on Instagram at vulva drawings. Everything for Lily is um, in the description of the episode and so please 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 check her out. As always you can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty, send us a wee email if you wish to go old school to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You of course can follow um, myself on Twitter at Elaine Stirrett and Instagram at Elaine.Stirrett and you can follow Louise on Instagram and Twitter at Ms. Louise Oliver. Okay, good. Got all the socials done. As always, thank you to everybody who supports us sends us the price of a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, you have no idea the difference that you make and we are so thankful. As all of you know, we are currently unfunded. We are still plugging away at that. It will happen. It will happen. But for those of you who wish to help support us, you can follow the PayPal link in the description of this episode. Okay, I think I've 
rambled on enough for today. Um, for today's episode, oh, I suggest a cup of tea. Um, oh, maybe like a ginger beer. I feel like it's quite a fiery episode, so something maybe spicy. Yeah, chai latte. Um, I mean, I don't drink coffee, so I don't know if like a chai latte is that spicy certainly got a lot of cinnamon in it so you know beautiful flavor um yeah or good old glass of tap water whatever your beverage of choice sit back relax and enjoy um hello lovely listeners and welcome to another episode of the persistent and nasty podcast I am super excited today to be joined by artist Lily O'Farrell now Lily if people don't know who you are first of all what the hell are they doing Secondly, would you like to give our listeners a little bit of a history about yourself? Of course, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so in terms of my backstory, I came from the comedy route. I didn't come from the art route and I was always really interested in comedy. But I think as a woman, you kind of assume the role of facilitator instead of the star. So I did a lot of backstage work facilitating mostly male comedians and then um, started doing some sketch writing and eventually, you know, uh, got the courage to do stand-up comedy. And I did that for about a year. And um, I had always been, I'd always loved drawing, but the drawing I did was kind of, I wasn't very good at it. Like I almost failed my art GCSE. I just scraped to see. And I did, I wanted to do like creepy weird characters with their eyeballs falling out. And um, artists, art organizations, you know, didn't like that. So I uh, started waitressing. Why? Why did they not? <laughs> because they want they want watercolors of fruit bowls. You know, they want exactly. serious. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it's changing. I think funny art is on you know on its way up. Anyway, so I um, was working as a waitress whilst I was doing comedy because obviously it's very difficult to pay rent with a creative career, and started doodling on the back of receipts in the quiet times, and obviously you know I wasn't the best waitress. And uh, I just had a light bulb moment where I thought... I love that you're like, obviously, I wasn't the best waitress. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you were great, but also it's that thing that all artists have to do, our side hustle, of yeah. which sometimes we have like five. Oh, completely. It's the patchwork career. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so you had your light bulb moment, sorry. No, don't worry about it. And then I thought, oh, I should start drawing all these comedy sketches that I've written. Because obviously, like the process is you often write 10 and use one and you have all this leftover material. And I just uploaded this cartoon I did online and it really blew up and people wanted more. And it kind of like fell out of me. Like it was so cathartic and uh, such a great way to express how I was feeling and how others apparently were also feeling. And people started to give me their own stories that I could draw. And my audience just grew and grew and grew. And that was 2018. And now it's 2021. And this is my job. And I'm sitting in a studio on a Monday it's like life is crazy <laughs> yeah it really it is isn't it it's like but it's something so interesting that your art tapped into something really important and just the fact that um and for people who haven't seen your art it is it certainly has a feminist vibe to it oh yeah totally <laughs> I would if I go to like a you know a dinner party that my with people that are like friends of my parents or something, I would say, I would describe it as politically charged. They'll go like, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm kind of, I'm like an internet cartoonist. And they go, oh, can I find you online? I go, 
Yeah, yeah, go for it. Just, you know, little warning. It's politically, it's quite politically charged. But, you know, I shouldn't have to really turn it down. For other people my age, I'm just, well, not even my age, for other people with my political views, yeah, I say it's... Um, it, it's just like it's like semi-autobiographical cartoons about being a young woman, being a millennial woman, having sex and experiencing sexism. That's what I would say. Yes. And uh, people can, I mean, we'll link everything obviously in the description and people can find you, but it's a uh, Vulva Drawings, at Hi. Vulva Drawings on Instagram. And then obviously you have your website, which we'll link. But um, it's really interesting that thing that you just said about having to kind of tone it down slightly for other people. Um, and like, how do your family feel? Like, is it like, are they? My family are great and very supportive. Um, I think the social media stuff they are learning about more, but in terms of the, the creative and the comedy writing and the drawing part, they're really supportive of that and the political element. Um, they are very much of the same. They'll, you know, they would all identify as feminists. They're all very left-wing as well. So, so it was great because those, we would have those kind of discussions anyway as a family, probably, which I'm yeah. sure educated that part of me. Um, my mum will, will you know, get up the Instagram and show it to the woman at the checkout. Like she's always trying to get people to follow me, which is really sweet. That's really um, lovely. I think the sexual ones make my dad feel a bit uncomfortable, but he's still as supportive as he can be because they are quite explicit. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I have nothing to hide from him. I'd say it to his face sex is one of those things that it's made to have this kind of element of shame especially when you're a female about it mm. when actually well why right yeah exactly it's a it's a kind of um, a promiscuity that I think is associated with um straight men and I part of a big part of me discovering the feminism that I identified with was trying to find a feminism that celebrated my sexuality and didn't and didn't um hide it and I think some older generations of feminism have done that like I think some older generations of feminism and I kind of understand it but their response to to sexism and the patriarchy was to kind of separate themselves sexually and hide their body parts because obviously things like page three were you know but then it's just difficult because then with when I was growing up, I wanted, I was of course a feminist, but I wanted to wear slinky little black dresses, have sex with everyone and talk about the sex I was having and not be ashamed of that. Yeah. And it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't objectifying myself. I was just expressing my sexuality. And I actually, I found that kind of feminism through comedy really, because it was female comedians who were boldly on stage talking about the sex they were having and talking about sexism and the experience. The two can coexist. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like, you know, it's, just, it's so funny because when I was younger, that thing of a female wanting to sleep with anyone and whoever she wanted to sleep with. And if you were of a certain age, like the first word that always got said about her was that she was a slut. Mm. Instant yeah. slut shaming. And yeah, it was never said about the guys. And it's still there because you hear it. You hear it. Like, the, like you see it and you read it and it's the... And it's the first thing that it always goes to when it goes to a female about being open about her sexuality. Yeah, I think I totally, I think I see it a lot more in like um, the what I call the wifey material complex. But obviously I think like the Freudian term is the virgin whore complex, complex yeah. which is when women are put into two categories, either the mother and wife and desexualized woman or the 
slut who you have sex with and kind of one night stand but not someone who's you can take home to your mum. and that was something that I started to experience when I was about 18 19 and I was having much more casual sex and I had always just gone into first dates not not thinking I was going to have this rule or like I couldn't have sex with until the third or fourth date like like tv and film and some people still follow that rule because you know if you have sex with him too soon he'll lose respect and I just yeah, so I just went into everything with that attitude and started to encounter it so much where people would, you know, I wasn't girlfriend material, like I wasn't respectful. I, or, you know, I had an ex-boyfriend and he, we would like experiment with different things in bed as you do, it, like with a couple you're comfortable with. And he told his friend what we were doing and his friend was like, that's disgusting that could be the your future mother of your children like that's disrespectful and it's shocking that he assumed it wasn't my idea because all the kinky stuff was always my idea and it's <laughs> it's like it's happening to me in his eyes it's like my boyfriend is disrespecting me by doing this stuff it's wild and that's that that actual encounter was, was what inspired that drawing about the wifey material complex and that was the first kind of drawing that I guess went semi-viral mm-hmm. Um, because as people people had related to it so much but didn't quite didn't quite know that it was a thing I guess and being able to see all those quotes that they have had directed at them in one place and to have that light bulb moment for them I think was really um, amazing and now that you can identify that in your personal life it's so helpful because it really helps you weed out the bad dates yeah you can get like I mean I I've been married since like the dawn of time so you know like I'm like um but it's uh, it's really it's it's so fascinating how things have changed, and it's interesting watching it actually from being in a relationship. Okay, I think like it's interesting to and being in a long term relationship and watching how um, experiences have changed, but ha- but also in the same breath haven't. Oh wow! And it's, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, so and it's. Found? I think like I look at the freedom that I think younger women have much more than probably even my generation and I'm not that old but I am definitely like I think I'm end latter millennial or like uh, what do they call it geriatric millennial yeah I think that's me yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that well I'm I'm borderline gen z and millennial like I'm could be both because the definitions are like different there's like two years differences so yeah. I obviously I, I wish I was full gen z because they're changing the world they absolutely are changing the world yeah i guess i'd be like the opposite of geriatric like a young millennial yeah i yeah i am unfortunately geriatric millennial not that's not unfortunate well well it well it isn't it isn't like there's like you know there's so much because i can remember you know being younger and friends of mine who were gay and really struggling to come out and how i though see like the young people because i do a lot of teaching Mm -hmm. and see the young people that I teach who are really open about that and really claiming their um, gender identity and their sexuality at kind of 13, 14, which is incredible. Um, I'm a big fan of Gen Z. They are going yeah, to change the world. Cool. They really are. Um, but that's really interesting to watch because there's also still the same tropes being used against them that they don't quite see yet either. And it's really interesting because as an older person you can call that bullshit much quicker oh yeah I yeah I felt with every eight with every year that passes I look back on interactions or just uh workplaces or classrooms and I think god I was told not to answer 
back because if someone is older than you or someone has authority over you, then they're right. But the amount of interactions I look back on, even when I was a teenager and I'm talking to, you know, a 40 year old teacher, it's like they were so in the wrong. They were so out of line. And I just didn't have that confidence in myself to and that knowledge, I guess, that life experience to answer back. But now that's why I get, always get called that I have an attitude problem because now I'm like, you're chatting shit. Like, no, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> big thing that we have to do those of us that are older is you always have to check yourself Mm. and you always have to think like where is your bias coming from yes so you know like young like I could say that there might be people my age who would be you know as having this conversation like being sexually liberated and properly sexually liberated not you know what we what people were talking about 30 40 years ago yeah um and they would be like, oh, that's still, oh, that's a bit, oh, we shouldn't really. Well, actually, where's your bias coming from? Mm-hmm. Your bias is coming from ingrained patriarchy that you're not willing to talk about or acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. Completely. And we can't escape it um, because it's in all of us, because it's so such a huge part of our society that it's, it's the, you've got to do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. You've got to have some kind of um, like zooming out is what I call it. So like not being so introspective and having a moment where you try and see yourself from above and think about like I always try and view the patriarchy as a cloud because obviously everything I do is like visual and that's touches. I understand things better when I can picture it. And it's like a little it's like a gray cloud above everyone. And it's about stepping out from outside of that cloud. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, and it literally is above everyone. That's the thing. It's like yeah, men as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. The patriarchy serves no one. <laughs> yeah, no, apart from maybe the richest one percent men. Exactly. I was just about to say, apart from the extraordinarily rich, and they're like, yeah, okay, everybody else, keep playing along with us. Yeah. yeah. Well, patriarchy and capitalism are like you know brothers of the same family. Yeah. Yeah. They benefit each other. So someone like Jeff Bezos is winning. Is he's, he's loving that? Absolutely. No benefit. And we don't question it. Mm. That's true. We just well, we do. Well, we do. Yeah, we do. But as, yeah, and you know, our younger generation are, as we say, totally amazing. So your viral post then created this um, chance for you to become comedic artist, cartoonist, cartoonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm still struggling to find the words to define it because I don't know really what it is some people say illustrator I, I think the reason why I say cartoonist is because so much more of it is involved is is so so much time is spent on the writing as opposed to the actual illustration because every every post every drawing that I do has a story there's dialogue there's characters there's a punchline and I'd say it's 70 80 percent of my time is spent on work working on that and then yeah. once I've done all that, that's when I do the drawing and the drawing doesn't take as much time at all. So illustration feels like the wrong word because it because it discounts all of that. Whereas cartoonist, I think, really um, encapsulates the whole like writing and the comedy writing part of it. Yeah. Um, but I I mean, once it went quote unquote viral, had half a million hit likes, basically, it, um, I was still working in a full-time job in tv and comedy as well and so I would draw on like evenings and weekends as, as much as I could kind of lost my social life I didn't care because I was so passionate about it and then I got furloughed in the pandemic and um I had the chance then to be able to draw every day and really put time and effort so much more time and effort into them and 
content and then the quality really improved. You could really see how the quality improved. And then it just went viral again. And I didn't expect people during such a horrible, scary time at the beginning of the pandemic to want to see drawings and cartoons about sexism and racism. But they did because we were still, the world was still happening. You know, the Black Lives Matter in June, things like that. The world was still going around uh, despite the fact there was a pandemic and social, you know, even though you're on a Zoom meeting, sexism can still happen. So, um, so it, you know, went viral. Oh again. yeah, I know, I know that happened to happened to me on a Zoom meeting. You serious? What yeah, happened? the misogyny. I was uh, holding a meeting and um, a man got very angry and accused somebody of interrupting, and uh, I tried to pause the situation and I was screamed at. Wow. What did he say? Um, What did I say? What did he say? What was he screaming? Uh, He was screaming. It was actually very similar to when I think back, it was very similar to that that Zoom video of the... uh, Oh, Jackie Weaver. Jackie Weaver, yeah. And I should have just said, I should have just ejected him from the meeting. But I was so stunned by it because it's a person that I knew that I never thought would have behaved like that. Um, So I I remember kind of going, oh, wow, wow. And kind of being really taken aback by it. Mm, I'm sure. and it was in a it was in a Zoom meeting with like forty people, but yeah, forty people. That's horrible yeah. because it's humiliating as well. Yeah, yeah. But I managed. I just was like, okay. I just I remember kind of saying, eventually he was just shouting. I can't even remember now what he was shouting, but I was like, okay, that is enough. Mm, good. good. We're not you. having any more of that. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. Mm. very interesting because I never thought that that would happen until it happened to me because I was like oh we're on a zoom meeting everybody can see it and then yes complete misogyny Mm -hmm. totally and uh I there were like there are some things that I was talking to someone about about how the pandemic pandemic has benefited us in some ways like so I am finding now public transport so much more of a breeze because my mask is on my face and no one can comment no I find that people aren't staring at me as much and because I'm so much of my face is covered, but also people aren't, men aren't telling me about my expression. They aren't telling me to smile. They aren't telling me to cheer up. They're not saying, you know, cheer up. I might never happen because I can't tell if I'm smiling or not. And if I, I know a lot of women I've spoken to have found that the harassment for them has gone down since they've been wearing masks on public transport. So, I mean, it's awful that it takes that to do that, but there's some real, there's been like some real shift that you've seen but it's it's shocking that the misogyny can still take place even when you're it's safe in your own home just on a laptop that it's that it's that strident you know and I think what was stunning about that moment for me was that was in a room of people who are all very much of like mind to my well I assume like-minded to myself um, in the arts and I don't think that the majority of them realized that that was actually misogyny that had happened Yes. Well, that's the feminist fuckboy thing, isn't it? Like that's when I first started doing drawings, I was drawing about boys my age with tiny little skater hats who were, you know, still being very misogynistic, but in their own liberal, um, self-delusional bubble. 
and it's still just as rife and it's the it's that debate about like there's everyday sexism and then there's the bigger stuff and the bigger stuff is like domestic violence and assault and things like that which are of course still important but there's this kind of assumption that the everyday stuff doesn't isn't that important and it's not we should focus on the big stuff but really the everyday stuff like the little comments here and there the the bad interactions at work or on dates or in friendship groups those stuff that stuff still builds up every day and it can be just as important and just as affecting and it probably affects actually more women than the bigger stuff. So it's about like um, putting equal attention into both and treating everyday sexism with just the same anger that you would something much more large scale. Absolutely. Well, the everyday sexism is the stuff that lets everything else slide though. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a process, isn't it? It's like gradual. Yeah. It's the little things that, allow that um opinion of women to be created because it isn't stopped at the point at the origin point mm-hmm. yeah so then we're then we're really far down the line when people then want to talk talk about it and stop it and we're into you know we're into sexual assault we're into assault domestic violence a uh, the murder of women the murder of trans women in particular um, yeah yeah of course which is completely ignored by wider society. Um, yeah, it does that the everyday stuff needs to be curbed. Yeah, because otherwise it creates a welcoming environment for everything else. Yeah, just simple things like starting off, even at nursery, like, um, you know, my friend's little girl was at nursery and she was wanting to do, she wanted, she said she wanted to be, I can't an astronaut say I can't remember what the actual thing was that she said that she wanted to be and somebody said to her you can't do that because you're a girl they're four yeah when was this like a couple of weeks ago that's insane that's like something from the 1950s well astronauts didn't exist then but still that is insane (laughs) but like it's still there and it's still because it comes down and kids hear that they hear Mm. it from above and because we don't stop it at its root it just continues but we will stop it as right phil that was very i was like oh that was very sad <laughs> no it's stopping that time <laughs> um yeah so um your latest drawings and stuff are, are obviously you did your one on incels which is great and obvious i mean i don't know how many of our i'm sure our listeners in the uk will know what happened um but um for people all over the world because we do have um, listeners all over there was an incident in um, Plymouth uh, that's what six weeks ago now yeah about so yeah about six weeks yeah um where a guy decided to go on a shooting spree it's really the only yeah, way he was a 22, 20, just turned 23 year old man in Plymouth um he identified as a straight man and he fit the mass shooter biography in that he was I'm sorry the ma- yeah by yeah I'd say no demographic that's what I'm looking for he fit the mass shooter demographic in that he was white he was um straight and he was young and he had been radicalized but he hadn't been radicalized in the way that we normally associate that term with religious extremism he'd been radicalized online through what I call them well what lots of people call the manosphere which is basically a corner of the internet quite a big corner that encapsulates lots of different misogynistic and quite extreme misogynistic ideologies and communities so those are 
pick up artistry. So that's like the book, The Game, where you kind of manipulate women into having sex with you through basically lowering their self-esteem. Um, and then, and it's like a huge pick up artistry has is worth millions. It's biz- like people go to Vegas every year to do to do to go to lectures to learn about it. Um, and then there's uh, men going their own way, which is like uh, men who think that women are so evil that they're trying to live their goal is to live their life without any women in it at all. So because they think that women will sleep with you and then take your money and they believe in some crazy stuff like having every baby should have a paternity test to check that the dad is really the dad, like stuff like that. It's wild. And then you have the incels and the incels are the most extreme. Um, you have men's rights as well, but I think we all know what that is. Um, and then you have the incels and incels are the most extreme and Jake Davidson the shooter was the was one of the most his ideologies in terms of being an incel were the most extreme which is called the black pill it's all like a matrix reference and he he was very much like I think he saw he thought he was changing the world like he was so he wanted to get his own back on society because he was so lonely mentally unwell and um angry at the way his life had turned out. And he also had his job, I found really interesting because his job, he was a forklift driver. And a lot of people who are radicalized online through alt-right or manosphere stuff, they have quite isolated jobs where they're allowed to listen to their headphones all day. And it means you can just have YouTube on and you can just have these, social, these alt-right commentators on all day, going further and further down the rabbit hole, normalizing that stuff till you, till you fall all the way down. And before you know it, you're, you've been um, radicalized. Yeah. I mean, when you did that, uh, when you when uh, you did that cartoon, mm. had you already been looking into all of this, or was it that that sparked it, and then you started to look into? Yeah, so I um, had been aware of incels for a long time. I mean, yeah, but, yeah, just because I am so fascinated by online culture, and I have like a meme account as well where I post memes. Like, I love. I'm 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 very you know the phrase is like extremely online I'm extremely <laughs> online and um so I was aware of incels already and I was just interested in them and then I started to notice their dialogue so they have a very distinct dialect words that they use are kind of like acronyms and and like weird nicknames for certain types of people and I started to see these words pop up in my comments with my trolls on my Instagram and I'd always had trolls but suddenly overnight it felt like all of the trolls were incels and I later discovered it was because one of my cartoons was shared on a men's rights subreddit so they found me that way and um so I started to basically have them in my own backyard so I did a little bit more research and I joined a lot of incel subreddits myself and you know 4chan and other weird internet forums and I just kind of observed them because I was interested and I really felt like it was quite a threat that people weren't really uh taking seriously because I think there's a real disconnect between between seeing the online world as the real world you know online threats as real threats so uh and then I started to interact with them because a lot of them were teenage boys and when they started to message me and they'd message me like threats or, you know, why do you hate men? You're the reason that men are com- committing suicide, all this stuff. I started to engage with them because I was worried. Like I would go click on their profile and these were like 15 year old boys from like Indianapolis or something. And it's their, their misogyny was so extreme. And often the words they were using were just like sound bites that they clearly all got from the same place. So I was slowly trying to talk them down in a way that was empathetic, um, not aggressive, not hostile, not trying to publicly shame them. I just wanted to be like human to human. Uh, 
something's gone wrong here and the things that they blame women for which are legitimate problems that young men are experiencing which are you know uh, low self-esteem body confidence pressure to be waxed tanned muscly um pressure to not uh, be very emo- like publicly emotional all those uh, pressure to be hypersexual and to have you know talk, brag about all the women you're sleeping with these are all real issues but they're blaming women for those problems when actually it's the fault of the patriarchy and it's about trying to get them to understand that we're on the same team and I had some success like I did have some success no radicalization reverses itself overnight it's all paid baby steps but some people were I think just wanted to speak to a woman, some teenage boys wanted to speak to a woman in private because these forums really promote a pile on culture because obviously it's all public. Everyone can comment, everyone can see what you're saying. So they just wanted to ask me questions in private about women and they were just isolated. And I felt like a lot of them didn't have a responsible adult at home who was seeing what was happening to them. Um, So I had one guy in particular who uh, was really extreme, fully identified publicly as an incel. And we talked and we talked for a long time and then we kind of left it like, look, I respect you and but let's agree to disagree. And then six weeks later, he messaged me out of the blue again, saying that he has this like friend who's a girl at school and it's turned into something romantic and he's really happy. And how can he be a better man for her? He asked me that. Oh, and it, it was just amazing. Like a tear came to my eye. It was such an yeah. amazing a full 360 and to for him to see that he wanted to improve himself as a man so that he could make this woman's life this girl's life the 16 year old girl's life better was just amazing and you know obviously I mean that's a huge shift in his thought process and that is incredible I'm I mean Lily I have so much respect for you for being able to go on to those sites and just like you know keep calm um because my rage I don't know if I would be yeah. able to keep my calm I think you um, get, yeah it normal the hate sadly like the hate and the language is normalized so quickly when you're seeing it every day it's just like oh yeah another one bites the dust like and it's oh, I don't know is that, is that how you feel when you see all like the trolls piling on you just kind of like it just is now kind of as a uh, jinx monsoon would say water off a duck's back yeah yeah well honestly yeah it, it's um I feel like my, my skin is very thick now. I've kind of trained myself because I guess I, from day one, I always expected that they would be there because they were there in my real life, let alone my online life. And I've always been used to having to have my guard out, having to answer back, having to prepare an argument quickly, try and school someone. Um, but with the online trolls, like they, they've got, they got more extreme when they actually published the incel cartoon. And I kind of, I guess I understand why, because I was really taking something that was quite personal to them and exposing it into my community. Um, and so I got some like real threats of doxing and stuff, which is when your private info is shared online. Um, and so that was quite bad. But the thing that bothers me more actually is when my trolls target my followers. So if someone comments on one of my drawings and says that they love this, they'll pile on that person. And that upsets me because it, it feels like it's my responsibility to protect my followers. Although I obviously I can't, but it, it, when it's like, when they troll me, I'm like, well, yeah, like I'm putting this out there, I expect it. But if it's just a supportive person, then that's kind of unfair. Yeah, but that's same. Um... I guess there's also that thing of that's an quote unquote easy target for them because that's not going to be 
someone that clearly is willing to have that pushback with them and that dialogue, whereas yeah. someone who's just supporting you is just making a comment about your art and then it's that's an easier target for them to kind of get that dopamine hit of yeah I've got through to I've made my point or you know they, they've got no answer for me that kind of thing yeah. yeah yeah and I don't actually engage with them in the comments because that's what they're looking for and when, exactly. my, when I see my followers doing it I'm like oh don't waste your time really don't but when they're in my dms and they are teenagers that's when I take the time to engage but if they're adult men who are identifying as incels those people I, I think are quite very much much more dangerous because those are the men who are grooming teenage boys into these communities um and those are the they're the real villains yeah yeah um I mean it's it's a huge thing that really needs to be dealt with and what you're doing is incredible but there's no big conversations about it yeah especially no I think people are intimidated by the online world so and it's a whole other language and I'm still learning the language I'm still learning the culture and um but it's you got to start somewhere like it's important because I think I think the Capitol Hill riots were a great example of that where everyone was very surprised at the number of people that turned up and especially the number of people with QAnon referencing on their clothing and in their flags but I know that people who are very much online and were aware of that weren't surprised at all those are online numbers and they're also real people behind those computers yeah yeah exactly um and I think I do I think as well there is a fear for actually maybe I'm being unfair because maybe not everybody thinks like this but there's certainly a fear for those people who are older and haven't had the internet like their entire life yeah cancel culture is a big thing so you say the wrong thing and you're cancelled and we're never quite sure where things are going um so there is a fear because it's the fear of the unknown with online yeah yeah, I totally agree. Um, I read something which I think is a really good description of the generational divide is that the older people who didn't grow up with the internet are afraid to, to press the wrong button. So they're kind of, they'll get a computer and be and worry that if they press something, everything will be deleted or the whole thing will explode. But for the younger people who grew up with the internet, what we did was we just pressed all the buttons and we just worked out what they did. And that's yeah. the kind of been the difference in how we've evolved in understanding technology. Um, so yeah. I guess it's about not having that fear like you say, to press all the buttons and see what they do. Yeah, yeah, because I do wonder if that's why the conversation hasn't been had on a bigger scale about this, because it is so important and it's been completely ignored. Like, Yeah, I think I think this By the mainstream, it's not been ignored by those of us who are trying to change things, but the mainstream that actually could make the difference is ignoring it. Yeah, well, I guess the stories about the internet aren't going to sell maybe they think that because people feel alienated by it but I know that some governments are I know that the UK government has um funded some research into alt-right memes and like different online ways of communicating online and and how it represents extremist communities so that's good so you know baby steps I mean baby steps can't believe that it's a right-wing government doing that but hey ho <laughs> <laughs> that's so true that didn't occur to me um It'll be interesting to see what they find. Um, of course. God. Um, oh God, let's we could get spend another hour talking about our shit show of a right-wing government. Yeah. Um uh, in the UK. Um, and obviously I'm wondering what your thoughts are about what happened in Texas over the weekend and if your next lot of cartoons might have something. 
I mean, I mean, I'm sure you can guess what my thoughts. I mean, are. I know, I know what your yeah. thoughts are going to be, but it's just like a lead in with. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. What your thoughts are? It's uh, it's it's. It's the first time, it's the first time where I feel the Handmaid's Tale comparison isn't a reach, you know? I've always felt like the Handmaid's Tale comparison was a bit, not dramatic, but like a, a bit tongue in cheek, I guess. And now the comparisons are like, yeah, this is, this is directly, this is, an ins- it's insanity, it's insanity. Um, I'm, sh- I'm struggling to do a cartoon about this and I don't actually think that I will. And as awful as that is, because I feel so helpless my, all of the cartoons that I do, I always try and have an uplifting ending, an optimistic ending. And I have no clue what to, if I were to do a cartoon about this, where to even start, because, because it's just, it's despicable and disgusting. And so many people are going to die because of this, like, let alone the, the way it's going to impact the women who survive, but people will die because, uh, I mean, I could talk about again, this for hours, but it's just, it's the hypocrisy of it that I find mm-hmm. awful. The US is such a developed country, but it's also such a dangerous place to have a child because of poverty and because of the racial medical discrimination. So these people aren't pro-life. What they are is, you know, pro-controlling women's bodies. Yeah. This is, and people will still have abortions, of course. Of course they will they just won't have them in a safe way and not everyone can go into a different state and everyone can afford to leave 50 percent. i think it's as high as 50 percent of the u.s population don't own passports yeah. so yeah it's uh i mean if you have any ideas for a cartoon like as always it's the women um from lower income households that will be affected this is it that's exactly it because the women that can afford to go to a different state and pay for it will not be affected um but the women who can't will be and this is when we are stepping into territory where people are as you say I think there was it was Jane Fonda shared it on Instagram and it was a picture of a coat hanger made into the shape of a Texas yeah that's good that's and it was just like it really caught it really caught me like it really because you know, we've all heard those stories of women, of women in past generations who couldn't get that and who tried to use a coat hanger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. Damaged themselves, if not perforated something and then died. And it's just, you know, it's... And it's what you, it's, you know, it's that thing of like, I think for some reason, the world seems to hold America up to some sort of high standard. Yeah actually they're not not at all not at all because actually if they were they would have a health system which they don't because they don't actually care about life I think the worst thing I've seen so far which was something I saw this morning um and it was women being called host bodies how like seriously like for like actually I am gonna um going to find for you exactly who it was that said it so that's that's yeah host bodies it was get like it just is like I kind of watched it and was like this can't be real surely this can't be real and I'll send it to you yeah and I'll like like but just um that really do you know what it didn't stun me but it did that somebody in this day and age and it's what and it was obviously 
it kind of looked like the guy that was speaking looked like he was probably 40 40s and it was just like again it's this thing of you guys haven't learned that everything that you now see is published forever online will never go away and it's like this is going to haunt you and I don't think you either care or realize and you actually believe that yeah. Oh, yeah. You've exposed your beliefs. And host bodies are such an interesting, because um, that's really exposing the whole idea of of seeing a pregnancy as how can we how can we save this baby and not seeing it as a woman and being involved. So by calling her a host body, it's again prioritizing the baby and not the woman. Exactly, because it's you know, and it is this thing. There was also something I saw. Um, Oh my God, I forgot her name. She is American. She's amazing. Uh, She talks about race and has done for years. Jane Elliott, and she talks about, there's this clip and she talks about the fact that um, the big problem is that the numbers are dwindling and um, white people will eventually become the, will be bred out basically. Right, yeah. Right. And it's got nothing to do with anything else except that white people, white men, don't want that to happen. So this is why they are starting and pushing for this so that it then can happen. It's the crazy like eugenics, KKK idea of like purity and super and like, yeah, I mean, eugenics is I'll see I'll see terms like evolutionary psychologists in someone's Twitter bio and I'm like oh yeah you're one of those and that's just basically that's just basically a a, a posh way of saying that I believe that white people are superior yes it was from 2019 and um in that year white people constituted 60 percent of the U.S. population down from um 90 percent in 1950 wow well, yeah, that makes sense. It's projected that by 2050, they will be the new minority. So if... So in 30 years' time, so if they're stopping women now in one state to then, so that that can then move. I mean, you know. So if they're, if they're worried about um, more mixed-race babies being born, why are they... Uh, counteracting abortion I'm just trying to I'm struggling to understand their logic because if I think that that's probably part of the thing right I don't think you or I could understand of course I can understand a racist I mean I mean um, no I just mean like that thing of like what like why they would think that it's just going to be white babies like why they're not going to think that a woman might be with um a Hispanic man or a black man so it's like you know, they, I don't think they think like that because okay. I think when they think, they think about a woman being with them, which is a white man. Right. They think white and then other. Yeah. Yeah. I could be wrong. And if there are any men, men listening, please let me know. But I would, I would, I, I think that when a, a white guy thinks about a woman with a man, they automatically will think with her with a white man. Yeah. I think that's plausible. I'm going to start asking all my male friends now. <laughs> can you tell me? Put a pen and paper and ask them to draw it. Can you tell me? Can you tell me when you think about this? 
like, um, um, but yeah, I think that it's a really a. It will be interesting to see what happens over the next while in the US. Um, and I don't know if you saw the press secretary the other day when she was being questioned. Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. So calm and like, oh, I, I wish I could speak with that sort of like conviction. Yeah. Amazing. She was incredible. It's like, yes, Jen. I think her name is Jen. Yeah, Jen. Can't remember her surname. Names are avoiding yeah. me. Monday morning. It's, yeah. Uh, this is what happens. Um, <clears throat> Lily, uh, I mean, I literally could talk to you for hours, but, you know, you have a life and uh, things have to money do. to make and money to make make those pennies and um, what do you have coming up what is what's on the horizon for you so I just had a book that came out about two weeks ago and that is called Kyle Theory and you can buy that anywhere WH Smith Waterstones Amazon um and if you go on my website you can find get it from Waterstones which I obviously recommend because if you buy it from Amazon it's you know it's Amazon uh what else do I have coming up I'm working on a book with a friend which is a guide to the alt-right through memes so that's something a bit different but I'm really excited about it and I think it's like really going to be really necessary um I'm doing some talks and some schools about online radicalization and incels and how to avoid that um but in general now I'm just going back to publishing weekly cartoons which I'm really excited to be able to have that time again to do that and also to get stocked up for Christmas merchandise yes get on that merch yeah (laughs) that's brilliant that you're going into schools really great just like you know what we were talking about about dealing with it at the root and like that's Mm -hmm. that's so important um the question that we like to ask everybody before we finish is um the phrase persistent and nasty what does persistent and nasty mean to you Lily O'Farrell Persistent means not letting the anger pass by. It's like holding onto the anger and harnessing it. And anger is an energy. So using it as your petrol. And then nasty is like all the best things. It's dirty and slutty and loud and unashamed and um, brash and uh, cocky. I love being called cocky. Love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Um, Lily, honestly, thank you so much. Such a joy to talk to you. Um, we thank you will, so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. We will share everything. We'll share all your stuff about your book. Everything will be in the description of the episode for everyone. Um, but everybody should be following this amazing human being. And until next time, lovely listeners, stay nasty. She's-